Well, good morning, church. How are we doing today? It is so great to be with you guys. I want to welcome those of you who are watching online. Great to have you guys with us as well. Uh, it's great to have you a part of this series we've been in called Legacy. And we're looking at all different aspects of what does it mean to create a legacy now, not just when you need it, not just when you start thinking about it. But how do we think about it now? How do we be intentional now? And so if you've got your Bibles, you've got your programs out, I encourage you to get both of those out. In your programs, you'll see a sheet of paper there for you to take notes. And like we do each week, I want to encourage you, get that out, get a pen out, a pencil, write down just things that, that God is communicating to you, that the Holy Spirit is impressing upon you as we discuss today, as we dive into the scriptures together. We'd love for you to do that. And if you've got your Bibles, hopefully you brought one with you. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians chapter 6. And so if you want to get your spot there, if you've got a physical analog Bible with you, you can go ahead and open up to the New Testament. If you've got a Bible app on a phone or a device, encourage you to get that out as well and get your spot in Ephesians 6. Uh, we'll be in that in just a moment. Well, we've been looking at this series, you've been with us, we've been looking at different aspects of what does it mean to create a legacy. And, and today we're going to talk about uh, a very common aspect of legacy, which is thinking about other generations. How do we look at kids and, and, and view them as part of our legacy, not just as an afterthought. And so today, regardless of whether or not you're a parent, uh, we hope that this conversation uh, applies to you and that you'll see the way that you uh, play into this. Uh, but today's going to be a very special day because as I, I'm going to discuss parenting, I'm going to get to do it with my wife, Michelle. So if you would, please help me make her feel welcome. This is my wife, Michelle Jernigan. Come on down. <laughs> And we get to sit in these nice, cozy chairs I know, together. It's cozy. This is like the closest I've ever seen you preach, like physical distance between us right now. Normally it's the screen. I'm better from far away. Okay, so, well. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, well, it's great to be with you guys. Uh, just a quick update. A couple weeks ago, if you were with us, I talked about Halloween. I talked about how Christians have all kinds of opinions on Halloween. And I just made an appeal to you. And I said, hey, if you would be intentional in two ways. Uh, be intentional with your family and be intentional with your neighbors. And I want to applaud you because as a church, you did it. You stepped up. And I loved hearing stories from people going, I haven't got out of my house on Halloween in years. And it was amazing. And I met my neighbors. And I met and just these incredible stories. And so I want to applaud you guys for that. Thank you for being intentional. Thank you for not just letting it go by and going, oh, we're just going to boycott it. But going, hey, God, how do we use an opportunity here? How do we intentionally live out our faith? And, and I, I think a lot of you made great memories with your kids. And a lot of you made some, uh, some key relationship moments with your neighbors. And so I just want to applaud that. And we also wanted to give you an update uh, because, like I said, we had something brewing ourselves. <laughs> and so uh, Michelle's going to walk <laughs> us through what, what we did for Halloween. Okay, well, just put the photo up because this is our family. This is, we're the crew from Willy Wonka. So Jeremy is Willy Wonka. We got the Oompa Loompas, we got Charlie, we got the golden ticket, which, by the way, that, that gold jacket is on clearance at Target right now for anyone who wants it. Um, we got Veruca, and then I'm Violet. And I will say, you guys saw the photo a few weeks ago, and I'm Peter Pan's shadow. And then a few years after that, I was Chewbacca, and now I'm Violet the Blueberry. Like, I don't understand what happens. You're a great sport. I was going to say, what learned. happens to yeah. me on Halloween? I actually at one point laid down, and our, the Oompa Loompas kind of rolled me on on my way. <laughs> it was great. Whenever you do a family-themed one, people will spot, you know, one or two of us, and they'll go, oh, it's really, oh, oh and they'll start, like, putting it all together, yeah. like, you're all the same thing. So, yeah, that was a good time. Um, so that's what, this is the, the, the crazy crew that we're going to talk about today and, and, and really what we've learned uh, in our journey with them so far. And, and one of the comments we get often uh, whenever we're out together with all of us is some version of, wow, 
you have a lot of kids. You know, and like people feel like they need to tell us this. And then it's usually followed up. It's usually followed up with something like, you know what causes that, right? Yes, yes, I, I've heard, I've heard. Um, and, and so it's just kind of one of these weird dynamics that when you have a large family, you, you get into some of these, these funnier conversations. And yet, I, I think often about a quote that I heard from uh, the comedian Jim Gaffigan. And uh, he has five kids himself, and he talks often about parenting. And here's one of the things that he said. He said, I guess the reasons against having more children always seem uninspiring and superficial. What exactly am I missing out on? Money? A few more hours of sleep, a more peaceful meal, more hair. These are nothing compared to what I get from these five monsters who rule my life. I believe each of my children has made me a better man. Then he says this. So I figure I only need another 34 kids to be a pretty decent guy. <laughs> I love that. And I so relate with that. Each of our five kids has made me a better man. It has has pulled things out of me that I didn't even know were there and has, has pushed me to that. But what you may not realize is that when we were married, this was not the goal. This was not what we thought we would be doing. And if you could tell me when, we, when Michelle and I got married, hey, do you know that you'll be having five kids? And I would be like, no way would that be true. Because um, when we got married, my view was very much, I want two kids, I want a boy and a girl, that's it. And I was on the five-year plan, if you know this. Like, we're going to be married for five years and then... Then when we're ready, we'll get around to kids because we want to enjoy our life first. And, and Michelle was much more open to a large family than I was, but, but I was very much just this rigid idea. Well, early in our marriage, uh, I was riding with my dad somewhere. We are on a, a commute somewhere, I don't remember. And, uh, and someone had given him a sermon to listen to, and it was on parenting. And so we're in the car, and he goes, hey, I, I got this sermon. Do you want to listen to it with me? And I said, sure, and I didn't have kids at that point. And so we're listening to this. And it was one of those uh, shocking, surprising God moments where this sermon just gripped me and just challenged everything. And so this, this preacher was literally challenging things we say about raising kids. And I think I had said every single one of them. And so I'm listening to this and, I'm, and I just feel God going, yep, 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 this is you. And, and so, you know, I would say things like, well, I only want two kids because that's all we can afford. And in the sermon, he talks about, so that's how you view kids, huh? They're a, they're a financial burden to you. And he was just working through, and it was just very convicting to me. I'm going, that, that is how I view kids. And so I, I remember in that moment, this became a defining moment, literally came back to her and said, I think I need to, I need to be praying about being open to, to more kids. And I think that I need to be open to God uh, to changing my view to kids being a blessing instead of a burden. And, and really, I had viewed them as a burden, although I would never would have used those terms. Well, then about two years into our marriage, um, we still have three years to go on the five-year plan. And, uh, and we have a doctor tell us, hey, you guys have some medical complications. Um, you may not be able to have biological kids. And, and if you want to, um, you need to start trying now because that window is just going to get smaller and it's only going to get more difficult for you. And I remember in that moment, God and I had some words because it was like, God, I got three more years of having fun, you know, just enjoying no kids. And this is not on my plan and I'm like, all right, fine, you win, we'll start having a family now. But we couldn't get pregnant. And a month went by, then another month, then another month, and month after month after month. And it became this real issue for us, going, God, what's up? And I remember so honestly wrestling with God going, um, God, you put this, this view of kids on my heart. You have changed my heart on this. Why would you do that and then not allow us to have kids? And I remember so clearly wrestling with this. And it took us a year and a half until we were able to get pregnant with our oldest. 
And some of you know that, that feeling. And I just remember wrestling with that, going, God, I don't understand how, how this is possible. But little did I know, even when we were able to get pregnant with Gavin, uh, what was truly in store for us in the next season. So just to start off and say, like, if you are dealing with infertility right now or have gone through that before or miscarriages or whatever, you know, challenge you may have with trying to have kids, let us just say, like, we are grieving with you, like, we're here as a community with you, and um, a lot of times that journey happens, sadly, very much alone, and what we want to say as a church and um, is just that let us listen, let us be there for you, let us be what a community should be, and not that we know what to say by any means, but just that we can have, be a part of that um, journey with you, and so... I know sometimes talking about parenting, talking about having kids, um, especially if you're in that season, can be a very, very hard and real thing. So let's just start there. Um, for us, you know, we had three biological kids at the time. I'm kind of fast forwarding. And, you know, that was kind of our plan. You know, our view on how we looked at and viewed children had changed. And so we just thought we'd continue biologically. And then um, at the time in Arizona, you know, foster care actually ended up becoming um, – it's, kids started going into care every single day, and it started becoming more on the news, and you started hearing about it more. And at the time, we had only heard and had friends that had done international adoption. And so we had um, no knowledge, really, of people who were foster or in foster care, or foster parents, I should say. And so um, it was so foreign to us. And I remember one afternoon, this was like five years ago now, um, there was a news clip that literally has changed what we do have our life, um, which is ironic to say, because now news typically God doesn't maybe necessarily always speak through, but he can. And uh, he ended up um, kind of inviting us into this foster care journey through just like a one-minute news segment about foster care. And so we brought our first kid into our home, which is Aiden. And we've never, we, unlike most foster parents, we have never seen a kid come into our home that has left our home. They've... Um, Aiden came into our home and he stayed and we adopted him and his younger brother was born and a few years after that we adopted him. And so now we're at five and I mean, who knows, maybe six, seven, uh, <laughs> I always say this at home and he's like, nope, like not, not going to happen. Five, five is feeling pretty good right now. But, um, you know, we're not, we don't have it all together. Like when we got into foster care, we, um, it's not like we were like some superhero parents that knew. And so today, like I wanted to call this message, like, we're just trying, like we're trying, like, right. <laughs> like as parents, like you just, that's what you do. You try, you don't have it all together. You don't necessarily have unlimited resources to get everything done for your family. Like you just, we had at the time for fostering, we had a home and we had like a willing spirit and that was pretty much what we had. So let's just start there. But you know, there is so much guilt associated with parenting. And as we were even talking about this message, it's crazy how many people feel guilty over parenting. And there's this verse, Proverbs 22, 6, says, start children off on the way they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. And that verse, you know, we hear that. You may have heard that before in church. Um, but the reality is some of you with adult children, they have turned, right? Like they have gone a different way. So like this verse is somewhat can cause a reverse effect of making, you know, it's encouraging when you're a, a, a parent of young children of, like, what you should be doing, but as maybe a parent of adult children or teenagers that aren't making wise decisions, like, this verse can cause some guilt in your life. And um, author Ross Green said, parents of behaviorally challenging kids 
get much more blame than they deserve for their kids' difficulties, just as parents of well-behaved kids get much more credit than they deserve for their kids' positive attributes. And the, the verse in Proverbs and this quote, I mean, some of us, it's hard because some of us weren't raised necessarily in the best homes. So, like, if you think of your parents, you know, some of them didn't follow that Proverbs verse. And, and you could have, have be in a very healthy life now, and your parent humane or parents um, get credit for that. And that could be frustrating because some of you might be parenting your parents right now, like that might be your season. Um, but even on the other side, like some of your kids that have a lot of behavioral behaviors or have made really unhealthy decisions, like people look at society, and even sometimes even in this community, like we look at you and it's like, well, what, what happened there? Like what did you do differently that that kid turned out that way? Um, one of the things with foster care for us that made us realize that more than anything else that uh, I feel, I mean, having biological kids would have, um, is that we have so little control. Like, we didn't have any voice in fostering. You have very little say in what happens with that child. And it made us realize, like, we really have very little control over our own biological children, um, even, even though we think we do. Like, we think we can control what they do in their life, but we really, we can't. So it becomes this thing where you go to bed at night and you're like, we tried. And you wake up the next morning and you're like, let's try again. I mean, like, yeah. that's, like that's our parenting philosophy in a nutshell, you know, just every day. And, and no, no matter the challenges, God just continues to show us it's worth it. You know, keep trying. Keep, keep giving it your best. Keep stumbling your way through it. And so every day we commit to it uh, in new ways. And, and, and I love because I have to get uh, expectant parents that will come and they'll ask me, you know, hey, you got a lot of kids. What's been your experience? What advice would you give me? We're about to have a kid. And I always say two things. Um, number one, it's harder than you could ever imagine. They're, you know, their eyes will get big. And I say, number two, it's better than you could ever imagine. And they look confused and they usually say, you know, pick one. Like, which, which of those two <laughs> is it? But if you have kids, you know it's both. It is somehow weirdly both. It is the hardest thing you've ever attempted and it's probably the most rewarding thing you've ever attempted. And somehow in all of that, uh, that's, that's parenting in a nutshell. And I love the response I get. Some people will be like, well, I feel pretty prepared because I have a dog. <laughs> yep, let's build on that, okay? You know, it's, it's a little bit more advanced than that, but let's baby steps. You know, let's, let's work on that. And, and so we just have really uh, been trying to go into it. So I want to show you a passage. This is Ephesians chapter 6, if, if you've got it uh, open. I want to show you, this is one of the more well-known passages that talks about parenting. Now here's what you realize if you study the scriptures on this. There's not a ton of material in the Bible on parenting. Uh, not as much as you might expect. That you go, oh, there's just going to be chapters and chapters on this. There really isn't. Uh, and so Ephesians 6 is one that you'll often hear quoted uh, whenever the, the, the subject of kids or parenting comes up. But I want to show you what Paul is doing. I think a lot of us miss uh, what, what's happening in this passage. So this is Ephesians chapter 6, and I'm going to read the first four verses. It says, children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then he quotes, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Oh, great idea. Sounds encouraging. Sounds motivational. And, and you might realize if you're reading along that he's, there's quotation marks in there. He's quoting something. What's he quoting? Well, he's quoting the Old Testament in particular, what we know as the Ten Commandments. He's, he's going back and he's bringing part of the Ten Commandments into the conversation today. But it's more complicated than that. 
because Paul isn't quoting it directly. In fact, it would be literal to say he's misquoting it. Uh, but it's not because of a mistake. He's, he's trying to do something intentionally. So when Paul says, hey, honor your father and mother, and he, he, he goes back to this command, because he says, it's the first one with a promise. If you go back and read them, it's not the first one with a promise. And, and this is where we go, wait a minute, something's happening here. What's, what's Paul doing? And, and the first one with a promise is actually the second commandment. That's the first one with a promise. Let me show you that. Uh, this comes from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 7. It says, you must not have any other God but me. Okay, this is the, the second commandment. Then here's the promise that goes with it, verse 10. I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. So this is actually the first command with the promise, not the one that Paul is referencing. Now you might say, whoa, whoa, whoa well that, that doesn't really sound like a promise, Jeremy. Maybe that's how you explain it. Well, if you say that this, verse 10, is not a promise, then there are only one promise. Uh, there is only one promise in the whole Ten Commandments. There are no other ones outside of these two. So that wouldn't make Paul's statement make sense either. So Paul is drawing our attention to something because we're going, wait a minute, Paul. It's not the first one. Why are, you, why are you elevating this one? Why are you putting more importance on this command as if the promise for this one is more important than, than the other one? And, and you begin to realize a little bit of what he's doing. Well, he makes another change as well because when he, when he references the, the, uh, the command to honor your parents, he changes the promise on that one. So even when he quotes the actual promise that he's referencing, he doesn't quote it as it's written. He, he, he modernizes it for the church. And so let me show you the original. This is with the, the command that says, honor your, your, your father and mother. Here's the promise that goes with that. It's Deuteronomy 5.16. So that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God has given you. So in the Ten Commandments, this was the promise associated with that command. Paul quotes this, but he quotes it differently. Here's how Paul quotes it. He says, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Wait, that's, that's not exactly what was said. Well, here's a couple of reasons why. Uh, the promise in the Ten Commandments was written to Israel. And we referenced this a few weeks ago when I talked about Israel was coming out of Egypt and going into the promised land. And they're a, a people in transition. And, and so God is specifically making that promise to them for what, would it, for what it would mean in the promised land. As Paul quotes this to the church, that's no longer a relevant conversation. That's, that's, things have changed so much. He's not talking in the same context. So he, he talks about, you know, really this is how you prosper on the earth. This is how you have, you know, a, a, a society that thrives, a culture that thrives. So what, what's going on here? Here's how I would summarize this. I think Paul is looking at the Ten Commandments and he's zooming in on one of them. He's picking the command to honor father and mother. He's zooming in on this relationship. And then he's zooming out and he's saying, this is the one that has the ability to create this promise. To create long life and this life that is healthy and vibrant. It's based on this relationship. And the problem is we read passages like this and we read it individually. If my kid honors me, then this will happen. But that's not the context in which I think you have to understand Paul's words. He's saying it corporately. That when we value this relationship, when we, we put effort into this like this, then the whole society benefits. Then we all benefit, uh, all of us as a community. I, I think what he's doing is he's giving instruction to the church of what kind of uh, community should the church be. What kind of things does the church value? And Paul here is saying, we value kids. 
We value this as part of our legacy, both in the future and, and, and what is now. So if you take this, okay, so Paul's elevating this one commandment and he's making it this huge deal because that's what we need to, to thrive as a group, as a community. What is it we have to do? Well, just let's summarize what he said. Kids need to obey their parents. And parents, you need to raise up your kids in the Lord without exasperating them. Piece of cake, right? No, no problem. Just have your kids obey you and perfectly raise them up and never exasperate them. And, and you'll be fine. And yet if you've tried this, you're like, it's, it's a lot harder than that. It, it just doesn't seem to work like that. Which is why one of my favorite things on social media to look up is, is the hashtag parent fail. Because you learn all these stories of other parents who are like, we tried. I mean, we tried and it sounded good and it just didn't work. And then you hear stories about them talking about things that their parents tried on them that didn't work. And it's this whole genre where you go, this is so hard. And so to illustrate this, we're going to read a few of these to you. Uh, these, are, these are just different tweets that people sent in and said, these are parent fails. These are things that are really hard. Here's the first one. I put sunscreen on my four kids, but one came back burnt. Turns out I lathered one kid up twice. It's a, parent, it's a parent fail right there. <laughs> okay, another one is, I forgot to fill the pinata with candy at my daughter's birthday party. I feel like this would be heartbreaking. It's like, hey, you did it. Oh, <laughs> move along. Nothing to see here, kids. Uh, or my favorite one. My dad told me the ice cream truck played music when all the ice cream was gone. <laughs> but I think that the music stops, right? When the truck stops? I'll be honest, that's not a parent fail, that's a parent win. I mean, that is, hats off to that dad. I mean, that's, that's amazing. Part of, part of our own parenting has been, you know, the, the journey of growing up and raising your own kids, you look back on your own childhood differently. And, and you begin to look back on things that your parents did or didn't do with you, and, and you have a new appreciation for it or a new sense of, of how to navigate it. And, and like Michelle said earlier, um, we acknowledge that, you know, all of, us, uh, all of us come from different starting points when it comes to our, uh, our expectations or what has been modeled for us with parenting. I was privileged to have two parents who are still married to one another, who loved the Lord, who loved me, and, and instilled a, a sense of pride in me. That is a tremendous gift that I, the older I get, the more I realize how unique of a gift that is. And, and so I was very fortunate with that. But I can look back on those years now and, and realize some of the things like, Oh, that's what they were trying to do. That's what they were trying to navigate. And it was hard. And I think back to one of the biggest arguments my dad and I ever got in. I was a junior higher. And it came to what kind of music I was allowed to listen to. Now, maybe if you've got, you know, junior hires, you've had a similar conversation of, hey, what kind of entertainment are you into? And I'm not okay with it. Well, one day, I was learning how to play guitar. And I, I, came, I came home and I had just bought uh, the new Metallica CD. And I was so excited. And my dad sees this CD and he's like, what's this? I'm like, it's the new Metallica CD. And he's like, I am not okay with this. And my dad's a preacher. And, and so, you know, he's just, he's thinking like, hey, I can't have my son listening to this. And this is the devil's music. You know, all these things that are probably going through his head. And so we're at this impasse where he's like, I don't want you listening to it. And I'm at an age where I'm like, I'm going to listen to it. And so as a junior higher, you know, he and I were, were going toe to toe. And we couldn't seem to navigate it. We couldn't seem to like, hey, who's going to back down and, and how are we going to figure this one out? Well, finally, we, we, we arrived upon a, a mutual agreement and both of us thought we won. And so this is how, this is how guys solve problems, right? And so we both had thought we, we, we won. And so here's the agreement. 
I could keep listening to, to Metallica's music until my dad could prove that it was affecting my behavior. So the moment I said something different uh, because of the music or it affected my mood or the way I treated people or anything, the moment he could connect it, hey, because of this music, this is what you're doing, I would have to stop listening. And until then, I could listen to the music. And I felt great about that. He felt great about that. And we went our separate ways. We're like, all right, let's see. He starts watching me like a hawk, you know. <laughs> and I'm just determined. I'm going to, you know, not let this affect me. Well, what we learned is music doesn't affect me like that. And so I was able to listen to Metallica's music without spinning out of control, and without there being any noticeable damage to my behavior. And so I never had to lose that music. And he even acknowledged, you know what, you handled it better than I thought you would. And so he felt good because, you know, he was able to see that, hey, it wasn't creating this damaging uh, impact on me. And I was able to listen to my music. And so it became this, this real victory for my dad and I in our relationship together in the way that we navigated that. Now, fast forward a lot of years. A few years back, uh, this is, you know, both uh, my dad and I as adults now, uh, we had a chance in our church uh, for a pretty unique opportunity. We had a guy in the church who was a, a filmmaker, and he ha had just made a, a documentary about growing up without a dad. And in the documentary, he interviews a guy named James Hetfield. Well, James Hetfield is the lead singer of Metallica, and he's in the documentary. So the, the guy that makes the movie is in our church, and he says, hey, I would love to show my documentary at an event at my church, would that be possible? And so we're like, well, we'll, we'll figure it out, see if we can do it. And then he goes, well, if we could show it, um, I could get James Hetfield to come out and do a Q&A afterward. <laughs> Done. You know, like, <laughs> sign me up. What do you need? Like, let, I mean, literally, I'm like reverting back to like junior high version of me. Like, let's do this. And so I'm like, awesome, let's, let's make this happen. So James Hetfield comes out to our church and has this event with us. Well, backstage, we have this moment where it's James, my dad, and I, just the three of us together, and we tell him the story. And we get to tell James Hetfield, the lead singer of Metallica, about the biggest fight my dad and I ever got in over his music. And the most amazing part is someone took a photo right when we did this. So here's us having this conversation in the back room with James Hetfield. So James is in the middle there. It's my dad on the far left. And, and we're literally telling him this story and reliving it. And here's the point. This will forever, till the day I die, be one of my favorite memories with my dad. Absolute favorite memories. Because we got to tell about a pivotal moment and the journey of him trying to figure out how to raise me the, the best way he could. And then to tell that story to the guy whose music started it is truly a, just a mind-boggling experience. And, and, you know, James laughed and he goes, I think my music's done that to a lot of kids. You know, it's like, <laughs> I, I think you're not the only one that's had that conversation with your parents about it. And it really was such a cool moment. But it has illustrated for me, that's all you can do is give it the very best. And I think what kids want more than anything is just for us to be intentional with them. So you know what? We're going to make mistakes, but, but we're trying and we're, we're going to navigate it with you. And I look back now and I'm so grateful for the way my dad handled that. For the way he said, okay, let's figure out a creative solution to this problem that we have. And we try to do the same thing today. And, and one of the, the sentences that uh, Michelle and I say often, and we have this hanging in our house, uh, is a sentence that, that uh, a pastor uh, said to me one time when I was talking to him about our family. He made the statement, and we just thought, holy cow. And it was a guy named Pastor John, John Orberg. He said this, the days are long, but the years are short. 
And that for us has been uh, this way of navigating uh, the day-to-day. Because the reality is by the time Michelle and I go to bed at night, we are exhausted. I mean, almost every day is long right now. And yet, if you have kids who have grown up and they're out of the house, you might look back and go, oh, those years are short. It goes by so fast. And whenever people like you say to people like us, enjoy it, you know, it's like, (laughs) enjoy it. I haven't slept in a month. You know, like, what am I enjoying right now? And yet there's just this, both of those are true. The days are so long and so exhausting. And yet you know it's worth it. And you know that in the big scheme, this is going to fly by. Okay, so speaking of very, very long days, if you're a parent with like young toddlers in the room, or if you even can think back to that time of when you had young toddlers, like tantrums in stores happen all the time, right? So we, um, a few years back, I was at Home Goods with our younger two, and I had like this epic, epic meltdown, like where our toddler was just like sprawled out on the floor crying, like I can think where I was in the store. And nothing is more embarrassing if you're a parent, but that's kind of like you have to do it, right? Because you're like, I still have to get, kind of do my life still. So like I'm bringing them along, but like just epic, epic meltdown. So nothing is worse than that moment being coupled with another person coming up and telling you parenting advice in that moment. And um, let me just say, all, like I'm sure the advice was amazing, but I can't even hear it when you're in that moment of just being like, I have a toddler throwing a fit, and I can't even hear what you're saying to me right now. Like, I just need to bolt out of the store. But there is an image that I saw recently that is just, like, perfect, perfect, like, how I feel every time I go to the store. And um, it's from the movie Hunger Games. (laughs) But when I'm in a store and I see a parent... (laughs) If I see a parent in a store with young kids or even moody teenagers, I'm like... I got you. Like, I know you. Like, I see you. Like, I don't have to say anything. Like, parents, we just get each other, right? Like, sometimes we just look at each other and we're like, mm-hmm, yep, mm-hmm, yep. So if you do that to me out in public now, I'll be like, ALC, you were there. I know. Like, I, yep, you got me. You'll make my day, actually, because I'll probably be in the middle of, like, a hard moment. I'll be like, oh, yes, happiness again. Um, but there was another story that just recently happened since moving to Oregon. We just moved into a house, and... Um, I haven't met all of our neighbors yet, and I'm a big person on neighbors. Like, I love the idea of neighboring. Like, it just is something, like, I don't know, that's somewhat of my heartbeat. Um, But one day, we were, all of our kids are outside. They're all playing. It's loud. It's always loud. If you have young kids, it's sometimes you don't know if, like, they're, like, crying or, like, having their time of their life because that level of volume, you're just like, I don't know. I think it's okay. Um, So we're eating dinner. We had friends down from Washington, and uh, all of the kids were outside. And our oldest comes in and says, hey, Mom, like, our neighbor wants to meet you. I'm like, yay, I haven't met this neighbor. So I, um, yeah, you see where this is going already. So I go outside, and I haven't even said hi. And um, they proceed to say, you need to come out and parent your kids. Um, they're being too loud, and since you moved in, you have disrupted our entire street. <laughs> if you know me, you know I'm like, take off my earrings, hold my, hold my hoops, like I'm like, mm-mm, nope. <laughs> but. <laughs> I was the one holding the hoops. Yeah, yeah. he's like, you got yeah. this, go for it. Uh, but I didn't do that. I was like. 
okay, like I'm Michelle. But I, what I realized in that moment, seriously, is that not only were all of our kids watching my response, right, of how I was going to handle this interaction, how I showed this individual the gospel, but also my kids were seeing how was I filling in the gap and standing in their way in taking conflict for them. And there is a, there is a quote that ha, we have talked about before um, that is from a mother, Rachel Jankovic, and it is amazing. I'm going to read it to you. It says, Christian parents carry their children in hostile territory. When you are in public with them, you are standing with and defending the objects of cultural dislike. You are publicly testifying that you value what God values and that you refuse to value what the world values. You stand with the defenseless and in front of the needy. You represent everything that our culture hates because you represent laying down your life for another and laying down your life for another represents the gospel. You know, we can, we can say this as a community that like we're going to value children and teenagers and college age people. Like we're, we can say that. We can look around and be like, yeah, like they don't have to be biologically my children, but yet, you know, we're going to value them. But then you're going to leave here and then you're going to go out to lunch and there's going to be children next to you at a table and they're going to be loud and noisy and you're going to be like, I kind of want to move tables. Or there's going to be teenagers on your street that you're like, oh, they kind of look a little shady, like not so sure of them. Or there's going to be a neighbor who pops over the fence and says, hey, you need to control your children. Um, but in all of those settings, like we have to understand that, that we are called to look out and take care of and value what our culture dislikes. And that means not necessarily just your biological children. That means we can look around this room. We can look around our neighbors. We can look just out in, in general in public and say, no, no, like I'm going to value something different here. I'm going to value the youth in, in every setting in our life. And that's what I think is, is so amazing is that kids provide a tangible opportunity to live out the gospel. And they don't have to be your kids. Just kids provide a tangible opportunity to live out the gospel. It is an opportunity to lay down our needs, our wants, what's best for us, and to go, you know what, you matter more. We're going to put you first. And you see this with your own kids. You see this with kids that you are raising. But you see this as a community when we say, what do we value? What do we allow? How do we sacrifice ourselves for the benefit of others? This is what the gospel is. And kids provide that opportunity. And, and so that's why even if you go, well, I'm not a parent, so this message doesn't apply to me. It absolutely applies to you because you are a part of this community in which we desire to invest and to live out the gospel in the way that we treat kids, in the way that we treat uh, the people in this community. And, and so I want to read a, a quote that uh, is from a pastor named Andy Stanley. And this, you might have heard this. This is such a phenomenal idea, but here's what I'd love to leave you with. Here's what he says. Your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you raise. Your greatest contribution. You might go, I'm going to be a rock star for Jesus. I'm going to do this and that. Maybe you need to look around you and go, who could I invest in? Who could I help to raise up? Who could I sacrifice for and invest in and say, you know what? You matter. I will stand up for you. I will live out the gospel for you. And church, here's an incredible application of this message. Um, you know we have a, a tangible opportunity every single weekend to do this. We have an incredible family ministries program on the other side of the building that has opportunities for you every single week to say, you know what, let's practice this. Let's live out the gospel in the way that we treat the kids in our community. 
And so today, we, we didn't want to miss the opportunity. As you exit, you'll see a table in the lobby on your right. And, and there are people who would love to talk to you about serving with our kids. They would love to tell you more about it. And some of you, maybe you've thought about it before. Maybe you're just going, you know what? I'm not serving right now. I'm, I'm not giving of myself. And I could. And I have something I, I could offer. I want to challenge you as a church. Let's rise up and live out the gospel in this way. Let's let the kids in this community grow up knowing that they matter. Not because someday they're going to be a part of our legacy, but because we live out the gospel in the here and now and the ways that we sacrifice for them. And so I want to encourage you, just go have a conversation. You don't have to, you know, sign in, in blood uh, on a paper out there. But I want to encourage you right now, that even remotely God is stirring your heart, go have a conversation. Go, you know what, I need to look into this. I need to pray about this. I need to, to, to pursue this opportunity to live out the gospel and benefit the community here. And we're so serious about this that I'm, I'm excited to tell you something brand new that's beginning next week. Uh, beginning next week, we're going to start something during the 930 service called Treehouse. It is going to be a room over in the children's area where uh, if you have kids who have been here for two services, so you want to attend a service and you want to serve at a service, on the service that you're serving at or on the other one, uh, you can go drop your kids off and we have a room for them just to have fun with some of our adults. There's going to be video games and crafts and snacks and it is a different uh, setup than the children's program. And so the idea is uh, you might have kids with you and you go to serve and you're like, I'd love to serve, but my kids don't want to go to the same program twice. Perfect. Now they don't have to. They can go to the program one time and then they get to go to the treehouse. Oh, cool. How do I get my kids in there? All you have to do is serve. In any ministry here, if you are willing to serve, we want to take care of you and support your family in that if you have young kids. And here's what I know. Your kids will be begging you to serve every weekend because they will love going to the treehouse. And we want this to be a part of what you do as a family, where your kids feel excited and invested for you to be here for two services. Because you will attend one, you will serve one, your kids will go to a program, and they'll get to hang out in the treehouse. And there's one other way that we're going to say, you know what, kids matter here. And we are going to structure our ministries around it. We're going to structure our room space around it. And we just want to appeal to you as much as we can. Let's live out the gospel together. Let's be a community that people look at and go, there is something different about you guys. And what an incredible legacy for them. And what an incredible opportunity for us to experience a transformation that happens when you live out the gospel. Let's pray together. God, I want to thank you for kids. I want to thank you for this tangible opportunity that is all around us, each and every one of us, to, to live out what gospel living looks like. To sacrifice our needs, our wants, our preferences for someone else. To elevate someone else's needs before our own. It's not always glamorous, and yet it is the essence of what it means to follow you and lay down our life for another. God, as a community, would we be parents who love our kids, who try and try each and every day and commit to be as intentional as we can to raise up our kids without exasperating them. And God, as a community, would we raise up one another's kids? Would we raise up kids that aren't like us, that don't look like us, that don't act like us, that don't go home with us at the end of the day, but we just care about because they're in this community? God, may we be a community that lives out the gospel in this way. And would you allow us to shape a legacy unlike any other. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.